Well, good morning. Just before we read the text, I just wanted to bring you greetings from Westminster Seminary, California, where it's my pleasure to serve as the Dean of Students. We are thankful for you and for your congregation and for all the service that you've given to the seminary throughout the years by housing and caring for interns. We're grateful for you. And I also bring you greetings from Christ United Reformed Church in Santee, where it's my pleasure to serve as an associate pastor. And we're thankful for you and what the Lord is doing in and through your work here. We pray for you today in your vote. We pray that God's will will be done and that he will be glorified and that you will be well-fed and nourished and cared for by your next pastor. But please now let's turn our hearts and minds uh, to the Lord's word and read together, uh, or I'll read uh, Luke 1, 26 through 38, and this is the word of God. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called uh, Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Please be seated. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together again this morning to feed and nourish us through your word and through your spirit and through the sacrament. And we thank you that you are a speaking God and that you accomplish things through speech. We thank you that you have created and brought forth the universe through your speech and we recognize that you bring forth the new creation, the church, through your speech as well. That we are reborn through your word, we are justified through the word, we are sanctified through the word, we are united to the one who is the word. And we pray now that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to believe and minds to understand everything that you have for us in your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning I thought it might be good to look at one of the songs or one of the, uh, one of the songs that, that is announcing the birth of Christ, and we thought we'd particularly look at the song of Mary, which we didn't read yet. We'll read that at the third point. But we're dropping into uh, Luke here, and Luke has been writing with a purpose. At the very beginning of Luke's gospel, he wrote, uh, he noted that he's writing so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. He's writing a historical or a theological narrative, real people, real places, real events, specifics. Scripture doesn't start off and say once upon a time in a land far, far away or in a galaxy far, far away, does it? But as we hear the announcement of the birth, it says there's a decree from Caesar Augustus 
the first year when uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria, to Joseph, who went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, to Bethlehem, betrothed to Mary, who was with child. Very specific. Very uh, basing the, the, the faith of Christianity on historical claims and historical realities. It's setting the stage for the announcement of the birth of the king and the fact that we worship a historical savior, one who was actually born of a virgin, who was crucified, who was raised, and who is ruling and reigning. When Luke's gospel comes, there had been 400 years of silence between Malachi and the opening of the New Testament. And then all of a sudden, there's this cacophony of announcements, of shattering the silence, an announcement to Zechariah, an announcement to Mary, an announcement to Joseph, an announcement to the shepherds. Never has there been so much going on at one time Something's happening. We're not supposed to miss it. All of these things telling us that there's a new era, that something significant is going on. And the era is actually filled with songs and filled with announcements. And we have the privilege today of looking at Mary's song. Not only specific texts, but the whole grand drama of redemption itself is highlighting a person and the work of Jesus Christ, a promise fulfilled. All the way when man first sinned in the garden, there was a promise made to Adam and Eve that a seed would come that would crush the head of the serpent. And it would be from her own, their own loin that this would come. And in Luke's gospel, it traces the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to that of Adam. Actually, all the way back to that of God. Noting that this is the promise, that this is the era of fulfillment. And for years and years, people have been wondering at the birth of each baby, each Hebrew male in particular, each one from the tribe of Judah, is this the one or should we expect another? And over and over, they weren't the right one. They were still a sinner. They weren't a savior. They were still looking for and needing a savior as well. And so Luke and the Gospels really want to highlight and show forth to us who this person is, who this child is, who this savior is so that we don't miss it. If you think in terms of Cinderella, we want to find who does the glass slipper fit on? Who's the one where all of the promises, all the fulfillment, everything said about them comes to fruition and to reality, and we recognize that that is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I'd like to look at three things. First, Mary's situation, and then Mary's son, and then Mary's song. Mary's situation, Mary's son, and Mary's song. First, Mary's situation. Gabriel is one of the angels that is sent from the Lord, and he is sent with an announcement. He is basically the voice of the Lord serving to announce something great. And note the specific and historical context. Again, we're finding Cinderella. This is only one person ever could fit all of these prophecies. In the sixth month, he was sent to the city of Galilee, to Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and her name was Mary. It's probably not a lot of people that day (laughs) that could fit all of those situations, right? Again, it's not once upon a time in a land far, far away, but six months to Galilee, to Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, whose name is Mary. It's wanting to highlight something very specific for us and that this is a time of fulfillment. And note that the tone of this announcement is really the setting of Jesus' ministry. This is humble, this is unexpected, it's simple, it's personal. Some of the other announcements, like to the shepherds, were, were public. This one's private, it's coming to Mary. 
And what does she hear? She hears these marvelous words, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you points uh, to Mary's special role in salvation history. And it's also similar to other numerous significant redemptive historical acts in which God announced himself along similar lines. The same thing is said to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to Gideon, to Jeremiah, to Paul, and ultimately, beloved, to us. We hear the announcement that God is with us, that you are favored, that you are greeted by the Lord, and that he is with you. Mary When she hears that she is the favored one, it means that she has found favor with God. Note that this favor is granted to her. It's gifted to her. It's a gift. There wasn't any hint of a request from her. It's freely bestowed. The the idea here that's carried forth in Luke is that this is what God does out of his good pleasure. He gives his favor and he gives his grace to his people, to his chosen ones, to his favored ones, to those whom he loves. And so we want to note first and foremost here that Mary is the recipient of God's grace, not the bestower of it, as some say. She's the one who is receiving God's grace and receiving God's favor and receiving God's blessing. And here Mary is really a picture of all of us who receive God's grace on the basis of his kindness, on the basis of his love and on the basis of his mercy, not on the basis of our merit or our deserving it. Just greetings, O favor one. The Lord is with you, and he gives you grace. Note the angel goes on to say, do not be afraid. Can you imagine? 400 years of silence. Most of you have probably never met an angel, right? And an angel appears to you. On the greeting cards, and Hallmark makes, right? Every time an angel appears, everyone seems glowing and happy and shiny. In the scriptures, whenever an angel appears, people are terrified to begin with. But then there's an announcement, fear not. Fear not because the Lord is with you, because you have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But you can understand this teenage girl's fear when this announcement comes to her. And he says that you will have a son, which we'll get to in the second point. But note how Mary responds to this. Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? She is understandably confused. Note that she doesn't even doubt the word of the Lord, but she wonders how this will be, not that it will be. She's puzzled as she knows that she is a virgin. She is not, the the people in the ancient Near East weren't backwater people who didn't know how pregnancies and births came about. She knows, hey, this can't be. She also knows the scripture. Other births in scripture were unusual and unlikely and maybe even incomprehensible. Having a baby at 75 or 99 years old is really, really unlikely, right? But you're saying there's a chance. But for a virgin, that's impossible. And so Mary's really asking this question, how how will this be since I'm a virgin? This is impossible. It's not just unlikely. It just doesn't happen. It can't happen. And the Lord comforts her and assures her through the angel. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, for nothing is impossible with God. 
In other words, in answer to Mary's question, how will this be? The answer is direct divine involvement. In particular, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity who we confess in the Nicene Creed, right, is the Lord and giver of life. The Holy Spirit who is actively involved in creation itself, giving life to everything and actively involved in giving life to Adam itself as the Spirit of God was breathed into Adam. Life itself is so often associated with the Holy Spirit. If we think of Ezekiel 36 and 37 uh, in the Valley of the Dry Bones, it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon the, this, these dry bones that they have life and they begin to move and they begin to come together and they form uh, and they live and they celebrate and they worship the Lord. So the answer to Mary's question, how will this be, is because the Lord is going to do something and he's going to do something directly and immediately through his Holy Spirit. The phrase, nothing will be impossible with God really would have sent off bells in young Mary's head about the redemptive work of God, about the power and faithfulness to his promises and the person. Assuredly, she heard up and she grew up and heard stories of this same phrase in Job and in Jeremiah, but most significantly at another birth with Sarah. To the birth of Sarah in Genesis 8, it was said, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. An angel of the Lord to Sarah in her old age, well beyond childbearing years. And certainly this has an echo in Mary's head as she hears and rejoices at these words as well. Note that Mary doesn't ask for a sign. Many other people ask for a sign when the Lord says something. Even Abraham said, when the Lord made a promise to him, how will this be? Abraham said, well, give me a sign. Mary doesn't ask for one. A sign is given to her. Elizabeth's pregnancy is going to be a sign to her. It's meant for her encouragement. It's meant for us, too, that we might have certainty about the things that we have been taught. And so Mary is really a wonderful example and encouragement for us of childlike faith. Not childish faith, but childlike faith. She hears and she believes the promises of God. She asks a question about how this might be, not if this will be. Mary identifies herself as the servant of the Lord, a bondservant, a handmaiden. She says, let it be to me according to your word. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that lovely? Wouldn't that be great if that was how we responded to all the things that we read about in Scripture that the Lord tells us? She responds in humble submission and obedience. She responds in gratefulness and in thankfulness. Mary's life is not going to be easy, is it? There's a cost of discipleship. She will be confused at times. She will be mocked. She's going to watch her son suffer an unspeakable death. She's going to watch her son die. She'll be blessed to see her son come to life again. But her life is not going to be easy. And she's being assured, even at the beginning of her life, that the Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. He is going with you now and always. And Mary believed the promises of God, and Mary believed the God of promise. And so let's turn now to look at Mary's son, Mary's Savior. 
This is really a divine birth announcement, isn't it? Where God the Father is announcing to Mary, as he did to the shepherds, that this is my son, and this is what his name shall be. Fathers nowadays often you know, have cigars or something that they pass out, and they're so thrilled to tell everybody when their child is born. And here we have a divine birth announcement. That God is coming and he is saying this. Note this building sentence. It says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with your God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The whole thing is building to get to that end of his name. You shall call his name Jesus. God the Father is naming his son. You shall call him Jesus. Which means... God saves, or Yahweh saves. In Matthew, he makes it even a little bit more specific. He says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is why this son is given. This is why this son is coming. Not just to be born of a virgin, not just to live a good life, not just as a model citizen, not just as a model prophet, priest, and king, but as our savior to save his people from their sins. This is why he came. This has been the promise all along. This is what people have been waiting for for thousands of years, waiting for the next baby to come. Is this going to be the one that is going to crush the head of the serpent? Is this going to be the one that's been promised to us? Is this the one that's going to sit on the throne of David forever? And here is now the announcement. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will be the one to save his people from their sins. And then it's really heaping up themes that are going to be unpacked in the rest of the Gospel of Luke. It says he will be great. And Luke records all these many miracles that the Lord does, that Jesus does, to prove that he's the Messiah, to prove that he's God. He has power over nature. He calms storms. He feeds 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. He heals all manner of diseases. He makes the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. He even raises someone from the dead. He raises Lazarus from the dead and he forgives sins. He's great. He is God. Who does all of these things? Only God. He is the one. And it goes on to say, he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. And the rest of Luke unpacks this announcement and shows us who this Jesus is, who this child is, who this one given to Mary, this son, this Jesus born to a virgin is. It's the promised seed, it's the promised son, it's the promised Messiah. The time of waiting is over, it's now the time of fulfillment, which is why the cacophony of songs, the cacophony of announcements, don't miss it. An event is happening on the stage of world history that is not just for Mary or not just for a few people, but for everyone. Because everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So sometimes at this time of year, we sing that song, what child is this, right? What child is this? What child is this Jesus? Well, he's the one who's promised long ago. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 3, it'll go through 77 different names in a genealogy, <laughs> listing all of these different people, and it goes back all the way, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. 
recognizing that he's both the son of Adam, the the promised one who's going to come to crush the head of the serpent, to deliver us from sin, to deliver us from Satan, to deliver us from death. And he's also the son of God. Remarkable, miraculous. We don't understand the incarnation in the depths of its mystery, but we believe that he is both fully human and fully divine. What child is this? He is the unique son of God. He is the rightful heir to the throne of David. He's the promised Messiah. He's the son of Adam. He's the seed who's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's the lamb who will be slain. He's of the tribe of Judah. He's the one whose kingdom will not reign, end. His reign will not end. He's the prophet who warns us from heaven. He's the high priest who still lives to intercede for us. He's our elder brother. He's the one who loves us. He's the one who came for us. He's our savior. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The announcement that was made to Mary is made to us. This is what you heard in the call to worship today, isn't it? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given hearkening back to the reality that this one born to Mary is our Savior. He's our Lord. He's the one who was crushed for our iniquities. He was the one who was raised for our justification. He's the one who is currently on high, ruling and reigning, interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. So finally, we want to look at Mary's song. Turn, if you will, if you have your Bibles, to Luke chapter 1 again. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39, I'd like to pick up where Mary visits Elizabeth after the announcement that we've just been exploring, and then Mary sings a song. Luke 1, starting in verse 39. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for all those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to the offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is a really beautiful and amazing song, isn't it? How do we respond when we hear good news? The angels actually rejoiced in the announcement of our salvation. Heaven's reaction to the testimony and the birth of Jesus Christ is to rejoice. It's not bored, it's not indifferent, but rejoicing. And here, this is Mary's response as well. Mary magnifies the Lord. Sometimes this passage is called the Magnificat, which is really Latin for glorifies. She's praising and glorifying the Lord for what he has done, not only for her, but for others as well. And some critics, when they read this, they think, could a 13-year-old Jewish girl really compose such a rich and beautiful song of praise? And I would say, of course. It's rich with Old Testament parallels that she would have known growing up, which we've already talked about. It has expressions of the Psalter that she would have sung throughout her life. It's also a powerful expression of her faith in light of the revelation, in light of the word, in light of the promises of God. We can think of Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel when Hannah said, my heart exalts in the Lord. I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like you. Mary knows the scripture. Mary knows the promises. Mary knows the Lord. Mary's been waiting in faith and in hope for the day that has now come. And so here Mary magnifies and praises and glorifies the Lord of her salvation and for the salvation of others. Her salvation and the salvation of others. First note that Mary praises the Lord for saving her. This is very personal. This is intimate. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. He's looked, he's, she's recognizing that God has looked at her, he's noticed her, he has acted for her. And she says, behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. That from now on is recognizing that there's an important change going on in human history and redemptive history. This is why Luke is writing, there's a new sheriff in town. The Lord has come, Jesus has come. It's now the era of fulfillment. It's the era of promises being kept. It's the era of the time of the new covenant being inaugurated. From now on, everyone will call Mary blessed because she has been honored to be the mother of our Lord and because he has come and her soul magnifies the Lord. Her soul rejoices because her Savior has come. Her God has come as well. The promised seed is bursting onto the stage of human history and it makes a life and death difference for every human being after that point. And note why she's blessed. Does she say, I'm blessed because I'm so pious? I'm blessed because I'm so awesome? I'm blessed because I'm so obedient? I'm blessed because of my purity? No, I'm blessed because he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Mary isn't looking at herself, she's looking outward. Up to her father in love and in trust and in gratitude and thankfulness for 
this child that is given to her, this Savior. Before Gabriel had showed up, maybe Mary may have wondered, as others had, is God going to show up? Is he going to be faithful to his promises? Is he really going to send an heir? Is someone really going to sit on the throne of David forever? But the answer is yes. And now she knows, now she's heard the promise, now the reality has come. It's radical, it's almost unfathomable to think that the child in her womb, the child that she is going to nurture and care for at her breast, will be the one to deliver her and her people and all who call on the name of Jesus from sin and from Satan and from death. But Mary here is rejoicing in her salvation. She recognizes that she needs a Savior too. Second, Mary praises and magnifies the Lord for his mercy to others. No, she says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The promise to Abraham was that in him all the nations would be blessed. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, barbarian, Scythian, male, female, young, old. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And she notes that he has shown strength with his arm. This isn't just abstract praise that Mary is showing out, but that she's rehearsing that God has showed up on the stage of human history. She's pulling images from creation. She's pulling images from the Exodus account. She's pulling language of the Psalms, noting that over and over God has made promises and that he's showed up and he's done exactly what he said he's going to do in being with his people. And note how very specific it gets. Mary notes God's faithfulness to his covenant of grace. Mary gets it. Mary believes. She says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our father Abraham and to his offspring forever. She's banking on the covenant of grace, she's banking on God's mercy. She knows that it's not through works, it's not through merit, it's not just by physical birth that we receive the blessings of God, but by promise. God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham was asleep when God did it. (laughs) He said, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. Unilateral, gracious, from beginning to end, and said, in you all the nations shall be blessed. You and your children all those who are far off, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. And so note that their reason and reliance for the hope is because of God's mercy. There's no appeal here to worth. It's a unilateral, irrevocable, glorious promise to Abraham. I will be your God and I will be with you and in you all the nations will be blessed. Mary is blessed. And we should highly esteem and revere her as the mother of our Lord and Savior, as a woman of faith, as a sister, someone to emulate. But Mary is not to be worshipped. She's not to be venerated or not to be prayed to. She's not a co-redeemer. And I submit to you that Mary would be horrified at that idea. The whole song is exalting her Lord and exalting her God and thanking him 
for giving her a savior, her son, who's actually going to save her from her sins. Mary's own testimony points us to the wonders of God's grace and God's mercy and God's might and God's power and God's holiness. Mary is magnifying the Lord for the fulfillment of all the hopes of Israel to that point here and now. It's not a song about timeless ideals. It's not, again, a galaxy far, far away or once upon a time in a land far away. Not something we all believe as human beings, but something that must be told to us. It's in-breaking news. It's good news. Unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. And everyone who repents and believes, everyone who calls upon the name of that Lord Jesus will be saved. And the warning, the flip side, is everyone who doesn't will be condemned or is condemned already. This is it. There's no other person coming. The shoe fits. There's no other Messiah. There's no other way to be saved other than Jesus Christ. And so Christianity is making both very exclusive and very inclusive claims. The exclusive claim is that there's no other name under heaven by which one can be saved than Jesus. This is it. He's the one. The inclusive claim is that everyone and anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this announcement. We thank you for not leaving us in our sin, not leaving us in our misery, not leaving us in our wonder, but revealing to us gloriously and clearly your son, Jesus. You've made it clear, you've given us many signs. The virgin birth is one sign for us. The resurrection is another sign. All the miracles of Jesus are another sign. There's ample evidence for us to believe. But we know that faith isn't an achievement of our intellect or achievement of our searching, but a gift of your grace from beginning to end. We are born again through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And Father, to all here who know and rest in Christ alone, I pray that they would be comforted and assured that you are with them and that there's nothing in all of creation that will ever be able to separate them from your love in the Son through the Holy Spirit. And if there are any yet who do not yet call on you or confess the name of Jesus, we ask that today would be the day that you would give them salvation and you would be merciful to them. We pray that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.